So last week, we noticed that the Sermon on the Mount contains some parallel ideas pointing to this central prayer, to this model that Jesus gives us for how to pray. He says, when you pray, pray like this. And then he gives us what we today call the Lord's Prayer. Uh, So this morning, I'd like to look at how it begins. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. When we pray, we begin with this statement of adoration and identity. Our attention is called to the one we address in the statement that addresses who that one is. These 10 words contain multitudes about the character of the one we pray to, and they put us, our identities, into perspective too. So prayer begins in this meditation on God, and our understanding of prayer, everything that comes after this, is shaped by turning our attention to God. Our understanding of, um, oh yeah, beginning in prayer um, with adoration of our creator, our father, helps to mold the remainder of that prayer. It orients our hearts in an important way. Uh, And this prayer is a liturgical prayer. It's one that most of us have memorized and that we say over and over again throughout our lives. And I think there's something really beautiful in that. Um, Saying this over and over again imprints the model of prayer that Jesus instructs. The repetition hides the word in our heart, helps us memorize it, forms grooves in our minds and in our souls and imaginations. Sometimes, though, the fact that we have heard and repeated these words so many times comes with the risk that we're merely repeating rather than praying them. Uh, Something I read this week while studying for this mentioned that this is a really common comment or complaint around the Lord's Prayer from believers, that often Christians notice that they're repeating rather than praying. And that commentator suggested that a root cause of this is a failure of adoration. And I've been thinking about that all week. Um, because we know the problem is obviously not with the words of Jesus. And the Sermon on the Mount is filled with examples of problems beginning with the orientation of our hearts. So I'm not surprised if when praying the prayer we're specifically given by Jesus, we still struggle with the orientation of our hearts. My prayer for us this week has been that God would provide us with that adoration and would soften our hearts into a posture of genuine prayer rather than repetition when we pray this prayer. And I've been blessed by thinking about that idea all week, so I'm offering it hoping that you will be too. Let's look at the very opening word, our. So Jesus has been speaking about prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. This section comes right after another little section on prayer, where we learn that we're not to pray like the hypocrites, like actors, praying for show and the attention of humans, And we're not to pray like the pagans who think that if they pester with enough words, they'll get what they want. Jesus told us in Matthew 6, 6, but when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Right after that in Matthew 6, 7, Jesus says, when you pray, don't babble like the pagans, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your father knows the things you need before you ask him. Both of those uses of you indicate the singular you, um, and the first one even points explicitly to individual prayer. But now we have the word our. When we pray, pray like this, our Father. So we pray in community. This prayer, the Lord's Prayer, is incredibly similar to some older Jewish prayers that the disciples in the crowd would be familiar with, liturgical prayers that would be prayed in community. 
So we've seen this encouragement towards private personal prayer. And now in this model for how to pray, we have an example of communal prayer. And we are formed by our habits, by the things we do over and over. And here Jesus gives us this prayer that we can pray over and over together. And something that offers an opportunity to experience being formed in prayer through these words. So these opening lines of prayer, they help form our hearts. Um, And in the beginning of the prayer, our Father, with the our, we're placed in community, in in, uh, communal prayer. And we're also placed in kinship with Jesus himself. So Jesus saying our, inviting us to say our alongside with him. Jesus, the son of God, the son who reveals God to us, invites us to pray to that God with him. So we pray with Jesus to our father as we begin this prayer. And beginning with that word, it indicates our identity as family with Jesus and as children of God and as family with one another as siblings. So praying to our father positions us as prayers in community with the whole rest of the bride of Christ, the church. Not only this church, Grace and Mercy, but the church throughout the world and throughout time. So we join in prayer an untold number of siblings as we pray to our Father. Beginning with this communal word, our, reminds us of our belonging with each other and of our belonging with Jesus. So we learn here in the Sermon on the Mount that not only may we pray in private, get to pray in private, we can, should pray in private to a Father who sees us and who hears us and who knows things before we need before we ask, but we also get to pray together with Jesus and with the church. We habituate ourselves to addressing our Father in community and understanding ourselves within the context of community. So this idea echoes throughout the prayer. We're going to go on in it to pray for our daily bread, forgiveness for our trespasses against our temptation. So even if we pray this alone, we're praying it with Christ and with the community of saints for the community of saints. So just from this first word in this prayer, Jesus calls us into community. He calls us into family just with the very first word. The one who brings about the belonging and who created this community is our father. Um, The next word. Jesus has been referring to God as father throughout the Sermon on the Mount. A little earlier in Matthew, we heard God say that Jesus is his son with whom he is well pleased at the baptism of Jesus. And when we pray, this is the relationship that Jesus calls us into remembering. This is how we address our God as our father. And the idea of father can bring up complicated things for people who have experienced fathers on earth. And I know um, a lot of your fathers. So I am hopeful for you that the idea of father contains echoes of what it means that God is your father. That you have experienced someone who loves you, who helps you, who cares for you, who corrects you who guides you. These are all attributes that we see in God the Father. And scripture reveals to us in accounts of God what the perfect father looks like. All of our earthly fathers fall short of the perfect fatherhood of God. Just as we are all created as image bearers who fall short of bearing the image of God to the world. So I pray for us all that our earthly fathers image fatherhood well. And I pray that the shortcomings of our earthly fathers are covered by the grace of our Heavenly One, that even those point us in adoration to God our Father, who is perfect and loves us perfectly. 
As we read scripture and meditate on the character of God, and we learn what fatherhood is and what it means to be children of this father. Jesus persistently refers to God as father. Um, he refers both to God as his father and in like a, his personal father, and as in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, the father to those who follow him. The idea of God as father isn't new to a Jewish audience, but there is something new about the direct daily address in prayer, the way that Jesus speaks of God as Father here. In the Hebrew scriptures in the Old Testament, um, they refer to God as Father 15 times. So it's not frequent, but it is repeated. Uh, In fact, it's repeated at the beginning and the middle and the end of the Hebrew Bible. So the idea shows up in Genesis with God creating. He's the originator, the father of Adam and Eve. You know, we sometimes refer to great artists or inventors or thinkers or as the father of their artwork or ideas. So God in that way is the father of all creation, the father of all mankind. We also see him in Genesis referred to as the father of Israel, um, the father of that people. In the Psalms, God is referred to as the father. He's the father to the fatherless. Then in the book of Malachi, the very last book of uh, Hebrew scripture, the last book we have before the 400-year gap uh, to the New Testament, the the book of Malachi mentions fathers, fatherhood several times. And in Malachi, God says, of the ones who fear him and have a high regard for his name, that they will be his, his possession in the day he is preparing, and that he will have compassion on them as a man has compassion on his son who serves him. So those are repeated images of God as father, a father who's a creator, who is a protector, and as one who has compassion on his children. So the idea of God as father isn't new, but Jesus does address God directly and frequently in a way that stands out differently in Matthew, in the whole New Testament. He addresses God uh, as a personal father. The idea of father as great, as creator, is in there too, but added in is the idea of this personal relationship, um, kinship. A father is someone who knows you intimately, as someone you have personal access to. So this model of prayer reminds us that we approach God as children, that we belong to him, that we belong to each other. But it also goes on to remind us who God our father is, our father in heaven. So we approach God as children, but it's not a small God. This is not like a small God like the God of the pagans. The God we are addressing is reigning in heaven. So this is a God of the cosmos. Yes, we come to God on intimate terms, like a part of the family, but we also remember the mysterious, vast power of God with that next line, in heaven. Um, Heaven is a strange thing to talk about, because how do we think about where exactly heaven is? We don't know the actual geography of heaven, um, which is humbling. That reminds us that our understanding is finite, There's a mystery to heaven. It's the realm where God dwells. So it's a place of the fullness of the kingdom, the place where God's will is done. A little later in the prayer, we ask for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. So God in heaven, the place where his will is done. And we see that the kingdom, heaven, has come to earth in the person of Jesus, who is doing the Father's will. So heaven is breaking through all over earth, but there is a fullness to where God dwells, to heaven, that we don't fully see yet. Beginning the prayer with an address to God as our Father pulls us close to each other and in an intimate space with God. We worship a God who calls us children, cares for us as a perfect Father, and we worship a God who dwells in heaven.
who reigns in heaven. It's a reminder that God is beyond our earthly fathers. He's reigning in a realm that we catch glimpses of and that we long to experience the fullness of, but that contains something of a mystery to us, at least for now. We pray to one who reigns beyond an earthly scale, one who is both bigger than our imaginations and one who invites us into family. We're invited into adoration and worship of this God who is communal, familiar, personal, and immense. Just as the reminder that God our Father is in heaven helps us understand who our Father is, helps us remind us of his character and identity, um, so does the final orienting piece of this prayer's opening. Hallowed be thy name. Hallowed is kind of an unusual word. We don't use it often in modern English. And whenever I come across an English, an unusual English word in the Bible, uh, it makes me think it might take a lot of more common words to get at the meaning, like there wasn't a better way to translate it. So hallowed is connected to holy, to the word holy, to set apart. So for something to be hallowed is for it to be set apart, holy, revered, honored, Uh, It's interesting that this petition is for the name of God to be hallowed. So I really love how jam-packed with meaning each word in this prayer is, how full. Just like the word our pulls us into understanding that we don't pray in isolation, and the word father reminds us that we pray to our creator and the one who has loving relationship with us. Heaven points to the majesty of God and his perfect rule, power, and kingdom. And this line about hallowing God's name connects our imaginations to God's reputation and to his plans and to his actions. So when we think about someone's name, it's more than just a name. Someone's name is a word we use to encapsulate what we know about them, what they represent. When we pray, hallowed be thy name, we acknowledge that God is holy and set apart, is to be revered and is sacred. So we're remembering who God is, and we're connecting that to what we know about God through his revealed word in scripture and through the person of Jesus Christ. We're stating an intention to participate in a right understanding of a holy God who creates, protects, heals, teaches, and redeems. Here, Jesus has named God our Father, so we're invited to revere that name, to recognize it as holy, and to petition for that too. When we pray, we pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And our hearts are turned towards God, who includes us, who brings heaven to us, and who is holy. It's within that context that we begin to pray. So we begin in adoration and recognition to the God who loves us and who reigns and who is holy. Just as Jesus provided us with the words that model how to pray, He provided us with the Lord's Supper, another opportunity for adoration and formation. So please come and take the elements, and we'll eat and drink them together.
Father, thank you for teaching us to pray. And just as you taught us words to pray, we ask that you teach our hearts to adore you, to see you rightly, to love you, and to love each other. As we participate in the Lord's Supper, please help us remember Christ's death and Christ's resurrection, his body broken, and his blood shed for us. This is Christ's body, broken for you. Please take eat. This is Christ's blood shed for you. Please take and drink. 